Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me uh, the words to say that would be beneficial for us in this moment. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us in a great way. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning, how many of you would consider yourself to be a punctual person? Anybody like that, punctual? Uh, I read a recent statistic on ABC News that said Americans are consistently, uh, uh, 20, uh, there are 20% of Americans that are consistently late to their workplace and uh, constantly, uh, constantly late. The 9 o'clock service, you, you all are most uh, typically uh, on time. The 11 o'clock service is a different story entirely, and uh, we're going to have to uh, help that this morning. And uh, uh, often we find ourselves not being on time. I, I enjoy being on time. I, I kind of get a little bit of anxiety if I'm late. Anybody like that? Maybe a little bit of anxiety if you're running late, you want to be there right on time. And uh, uh, this, this was the way that I felt even when I was younger. I remember when I was in elementary school, my mom signed me up for uh, Little League Baseball with the city. And I was so excited to play Little League Baseball. And I remember getting ready for my very first game. The night before, I laid out all of my clothes. I laid out my bag and my bat and my glove. And uh, I was ready and I was excited. And the morning came and my mom had to go into work last minute. And that meant that my sister Danielle had to take me to my first baseball game. And uh, she was running a little bit, a little bit late. And that was kind of frustrating me and at a young age I was very distraught at the thought of being late to my first baseball game and so we're in the car on the way we're running late and I'm thinking I'm gonna get in trouble by my coach and I'm gonna miss the warm-ups and I'm probably not gonna get to play and and we pulled into the parking lot I jumped out of the car as fast as I could I ran over to the fields and I was stressed because I couldn't find my team and I didn't know which field we were playing on and I was running back and forth trying to figure out where we were supposed to go and then I saw my coach and he was casually eating a hot dog and I was thinking, this is not the time to eat a hot dog. And he looked at me in my uniform and he said, Matt, our game is not until tomorrow. <laughs> and I had showed up early to my game, a full uh, day early. As it turns out, I was not late after all. And, uh, you know, sometimes in life we can get frustrated when things don't go according to our timeline. Uh, we can get frustrated when things aren't timed uh, the way that we would want them to be. Uh, our nation is experiencing this right now. Many businesses, because of the supply chain shortage, are experiencing great delays that's affecting uh, the economy. I read this week there was a headline. Some states are, are experiencing a shortage in their allotment of Girl Scout cookies because of the supply chain shortage. Can we all agree that's a problem this morning that needs to be addressed? There are many delays Life can be frustrating when we're navigating the delay. You know, all throughout Scripture, and specifically in the New Testament, Jesus talked about the importance of living according to a different timetable. Uh, Jesus stressed the importance of, of living according to God's timetable. Many times in Jesus' ministry, he would say, mine hour is not yet come. Uh, my, my time has not yet come, not yet. And the disciples would pressure him, Jesus, you need to go and preach over here. And the, and the crowds would pressure Jesus and say, you need to perform this miracle. And Jesus would say, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come until the cross was before him. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 18, and he said, go into the city to such a man and say unto him, the master says, my time is at hand. And I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And so Jesus always operated on a different timetable, trusting the will of the Father. And I believe today that our struggle is not too dissimilar of that of the disciples, where we believe that God can work and we want to see God work, but we often question his timeline. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 1, verse number 7. And he said unto them, it is not, everybody say not, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's a challenging verse because we like to know the times and the seasons. We, we want an Amazon Prime faith where we can make an order and we can get a tracking number and we can know right when that thing is going to arrive. And if there's going to be a delay, we want to know exactly how long that delay is going to be. But can I tell you today that the blessings of God do not come with a tracking number, that it requires faith. And we want to know the times and the seasons, and we want to know when things are going to work out, and we want to know when this sickness will be over, and we want to know when COVID will be over. We want to know when we'll get a raise. We want to know when our relationships will be restored. And so often our question is not God why. Our question is God when. God, when will this come to fruition? Uh, When will you work this out? Uh, But the Bible says that it, it is not for us to know the times nor the seasons. The Bible says this. In John chapter 7, verse number 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Uh, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it. And the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not, not yet full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. The disciples were saying, Jesus, you need to go to Jerusalem. You need to preach. The time is at hand. This is a great opportunity. There's going to be crowds there. There's going to be thousands of people. Jesus, you need to go. And Jesus abode still. He waited. See, rarely do we, wet, rarely do we question God's capability, but often we question his calendar. To the absolute bewilderment of the disciples, why would Jesus not go? He, he stayed still. Jesus was functioning in the delay, and this was something that the disciples could not comprehend. You know, the psalmist said this in Psalm 31, verse 15, and this was a declaration of faith, really. The psalmist said, my times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from, the, uh, from them that persecute me. This was an expression of faith. My times are in your hand. And there ought to be some followers of Jesus today that would say, you know what? Sometimes life doesn't make sense. And I do get frustrated with the timing of things. But I want to say with confidence that my times are ultimately in the hand of God. And God, I'm acknowledging that you are in control and I am not. And a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And so God's timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we need to acknowledge that our timing, our times are in his hand. I wonder today, does God have editing rights to your schedule? You know, sometimes we have, a, we have a calendar at the church. I remember when we first set up the church calendar, uh, we sent it out on accident to a bunch of uh, people that had editing rights to it. And so we would put on the, you know, Sunday, Easter is coming, and then someone else would take that, take that date off of there. And they, they had editing rights. Does God have editing rights to your schedule? Today, are you trusting God with the timing of your life? Because that is the exact theme of Genesis chapter 41. God had made these promises to Joseph, these these dreams of position and power and prominence, these, these big, beautiful dreams. And now it had been 13 years, and Joseph finds himself in a prison. But in Genesis chapter 41, everything changes in the life of Joseph. In Genesis 41, we start to see some of these dreams come to fruition. We start to see some of these uh, dreams come to pass as God promised to Joseph. And we learn valuable lessons about the timing of God. And so today, I want us to see how God is always right on time. And I want to give us five principles today. Five principles, if you're taking notes, that will help us live according to God's timeline. Are you ready this morning? Five principles that will help us live according to God's timeline. Number one is this. God works through unlikely people in unlikely times. 
I want you to know that God works through unlikely people in unlikely times. All right, I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready and open today. Let's pick it up, and we'll pick up the narrative in verse number one. The Bible says this. And it came to pass at the end of two full years. So Joseph was in prison two years longer because the butler forgot about him. Two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by a river. And we see Pharaoh is dreaming. Uh, in this time period, God would often speak to people through dreams. And so the reason that Pharaoh was dreaming was because God was working in his heart. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, God was working on his heart. I want you to know today uh, that God is sovereign over all people, kings, presidents, leaders, world leaders, that God can work in the hearts of men and women that lead in the world, whether it is President Zelensky Putin or Biden, I want you to know that the Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the river turns, uh, whithersoever the Lord will. And so God is sovereign, and he is in control over all people, because ultimately, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the reason that Pharaoh is dreaming is because God is working in his heart, because God is initiating these dreams. Pharaoh was an unlikely candidate uh, to be used of God. He himself thought he was God, but God uses unlikely people in unlikely times. And so Pharaoh is starting to dream. Now, I want us to see what this dream is. Notice verse number two. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored, kind, and fat-fleshed. All that means is seven fat cows, healthy cows, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, so skinny cows. And he's not talking about the delicious ice cream sandwich. Anybody know what I'm talking about, the skinny cows? Okay, just me. So seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, verse number four. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. And so this is Pharaoh's dream. He has seven fat, healthy cows, and there are seven skinny cows. And those seven skinny cows come and devour the seven fat cows. And so he woke up. How many of you would wake up if you had that dream as well, right? So Pharaoh woke up. Wow, you know, too much NyQuil the night before. And so he woke up. That was a weird dream, verse number five. And he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up uh, upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears blasted with the east wind sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And so the second uh, dream was similar to the first dream. Seven uh, good ears of corn followed by seven uh, uh, bad ears of corn. And those seven bad ears of corn devoured the seven good ears of corn. And so Pharaoh is confused at what these dreams mean. Verse number eight. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And so Pharaoh now is bothered. His spirit is troubled because he does not know what this means. By the way, he had good reason to be troubled at this dream because the Egyptian economy is really supported by the Nile River and the two most important assets in the Egyptian culture economy-wise were cows and grain. And so to have a dream where cows and grain were going to be destroyed, uh, that was something that would definitely make Pharaoh nervous for his economy because those were two things that really hinged, uh, that, that, that made his economy successful. And so Pharaoh was disturbed at this. He was bothered by this. By the way, uh, the Egyptians had some funny rituals for when they were mourning, uh, when they were going through a, a dark time. 
specifically uh, when it came to their cats. How many of you are cat people? Anybody cat people in here? The, there's like four people uh, that are cat people in, in the room today. And uh, uh, the Egyptians were all about cats. They, they, they idolized cats. And when one of their cats would die, you can look this up later if you want, uh, they would shave off their eyebrows. And they would mourn over the cat's death until their eyebrows grew back. And so they had an unusual way of mourning for things. And so here is Pharaoh. He is mourning. He is disturbed. He is troubled because he can't figure out what these dreams mean. Everybody tracking with me so far? Just a fun little bit of uh, information for you there this morning. Verse number 8. And so he was troubled. Verse 8. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh goes to all the intellectual scholars, the magicians. That word carries the idea of those that are well-versed in the sacred text. And so he went to all of these intellectuals, all the scholars, and he's telling them what his dream is. And nobody can figure it out. Nobody can interpret this dream for him. And I want you to see this. Pharaoh is desperately searching for answers, and he can't find them. Pharaoh is, is desperately searching for truth, and he can't find it. He's desperately searching, and he's troubled. His spirit is troubled within him. And I want us to know today that there are thousands of people in the Inland Empire that are searching for truth, and they are desperate for meaning, and they are searching for purpose, and they're searching in all the wrong places. There are people that are troubled, just like Pharaoh, at what's going on in their homes. They're troubled at what's going on in our country. They're troubled at what's going on around the world, and they're searching for answers. They're searching for truth, but they don't know where to find it. And it is time for the church to rise up and say, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ, because he is the living water. And one drink from him, you will be satisfied for all of eternity. In Jesus alone, there is purpose. There is purpose that will matter for all of eternity. And Pharaoh is searching. Pharaoh is searching and trying to find answers. And today there are people in our community that are searching as well. And that is why when we talk about Easter Sunday, uh, we talk about coming together as a church. And we want to celebrate the resurrection. But we also want to go out into our community and say, hey, because Jesus is alive, there is hope. And because Jesus is alive, there is purpose. Because Jesus is alive, there are answers to your questions. Because Jesus is alive today, we can live on uh, forever. And we want to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And so Pharaoh is searching. He can't find anyone to help him with his struggle. So Pharaoh was an unlikely person. This was an unlikely time. Joseph was in prison. This was 13 years after the promise. But aren't you thankful that God chooses unlikely people and unlikely times to accomplish his divine purpose? Notice verse number 9. It says this. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this way. Uh, the butler's like, oh, yeah, whoops. He, he, Pharaoh, by the way, I was supposed to tell you something. I was supposed to tell you two years ago that there is uh, someone in prison. His name is Joseph, and he's actually pretty good at interpreting dreams. And uh, he helped interpret my dream and the baker's dream. And everything that he said came to fruition. And so uh, uh, the butler kind of remembers, and he tells Pharaoh uh, about Joseph. And this leads us to our second thought today. Number two is this. The way that we respond to injustice should point others to God. The way that we respond to injustice should point others to God. Now, let's pick it up in verse 14. Everybody still with me? Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him in hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And so they cleaned Joseph up, uh, has some new clothes, he's shaven, uh, he's brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, 
and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And so Joseph gets released. He is now released from prison. He was put in prison for something uh, that he did not even do, falsely accused. Uh, uh, I was reading this week, there's a contestant on The Amazing Race, The Amazing Race show, and his name is Ryan Ferguson. And he uh, told his story on the show that he was put in prison, falsely being accused for murder that he did not commit. And he was put in prison for 10 years before new evidence came out showing that he did not, in fact, kill anyone. And he was put in prison for 10 years. And in his Instagram bio, it says this, lost 10 years of life to a wrongful conviction, making up for it every day. I can't imagine the kind of heartache that is attached to a story and to an emotion where I feel as though I lost 10 years of my life. If anyone could relate to that, it's Joseph. Joseph was away from his family for 13 years, being wrongfully accused. He was the recipient of a gross and evil injustice. But the way that Joseph responds to this injustice ultimately points others to God. And I believe that when it comes to the injustices of our day, uh, how we respond as followers of Jesus should point more people to Jesus. Uh, Our God is a God of justice. Are you thankful for that today? The Bible says in Proverbs 17, verse 15, he that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. And so it is not God's desire that the guilty would go unpunished. It is not God's desire that the innocent would be condemned because we worship a God of justice. And so Joseph is released from prison. And I want you to see that Joseph refuses to do a couple of things. He's released from prison. And first of all, he refuses to be petty. He refuses to be petty. Now, if you and I were released from prison in this moment, uh, we might uh, have a different reaction than Joseph. Joseph could have been released, and he could have said, you know what, Uh, uh, where's the butler at? Hey, how how could you forget about me those last two years? Really? Really, you forgot about me for two years? And how could you do that to me? I was in prison two years longer because you forgot? Uh, What is up with that? Hey, by the way, where's where's Potiphar? Uh, I want to give Potiphar a piece of my mind. Potiphar, you better clear my name, and you better tell everyone that I didn't uh, do this. Joseph could have got out of prison, and he could have been very petty, but that's not what he does. You know, so often we can be so petty in our relationships. That person was mean to me. I'm going to be mean to them. That person didn't respond to my text message, so I'm not going to respond to their text message. I can't believe that she did not like my Instagram photo. (laughs) Blocked. We can be so petty. Can I tell you today that we will never change the world with petty Christianity? We will change the world by being quick to show grace, quick to show love, quick to show forgiveness, quick to point other people to Jesus Christ, quick to tell everyone about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Joseph is released from prison, but he refuses to be petty. Secondly, Joseph refuses to be proud. Uh, Joseph uh, came out of prison, and he could have thought, oh, Pharaoh needs me. Okay. I guess I'm a pretty big deal now, you know. First, I'm interpreting dreams for uh, people in prison. But now Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, he wants to hear from me. And and, uh, he could have been proud. But I want you to see how he responds. Notice Notice verse number 16. It says this. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, watch this, it is not in me. Pharaoh comes to Joseph. I need your help. What does Joseph say? It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I love this response from Joseph. He says, it's not about me. 
It is not in me. God can give you the answer that you're looking for. Joseph responds with great humility. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Joseph responds with great humility, just like John the Baptist in the, in the New Testament. He must increase. I must decrease. I wonder what would happen if more followers of Jesus would live with that mindset. He must increase. I must decrease. It's not about my self-glorification. It's not about my self-exaltation. It's all about the magnification and the glorification of Jesus Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Joseph comes out of prison and refuses to be proud. It's not in me. It's not about what I have to say. God can interpret your dreams. Now, uh, there's a major, watch this, there's a major theological conflict here. Because who does Pharaoh think he is? God. In Egyptian culture, the Pharaoh was a God on earth. And so Joseph said, I can't help you, but God can help you. In so doing, he was essentially saying, Pharaoh, you are not God. That could be very insulting. That's like Elon Musk calling me saying, which would be awesome, by the way, Elon Musk calling me and saying, Matt, I need your help. And I said, well, we really need a smart person. That would be offensive because he's very smart. And Joseph is saying, Pharaoh, you are not God. Pharaoh thought that he had a dream problem, but ultimately he had a God problem. A lot of times people today, especially those without Christ, they think that their issue is their relationships. They think their issue is finances. They think their issue is their health. But ultimately, their issue is their standing with God. And so Joseph is pointing out the major theological problem here, and he's pointing out the fact that Pharaoh is not God. He says, I can't help you, but God can help you. He's saying, it's not about me. It's all about God. So he gets out of prison. He refuses to be petty. He refuses to be proud. And I want you to see this. He refuses to be particular. Because uh, Joseph gets out of prison, and if you and I uh, were released from prison, and Pharaoh came to us and said, I need your help, you know what we would probably do? We'd probably try to make a deal, right? Okay, you need my help, Pharaoh? What's in it for me? You need my help, Pharaoh? Okay, I'm going to need a couple things. I'm going to need a ride back to Hebron to see my family. I'm going to need some money and some resources, and I'm going to need you to clear my name. If you do those things, then I'll interpret this dream. Uh, but Joseph refuses to say what's in it for me. Uh, Joseph just does what is right and points him to God. You know, a lot of times we serve and we do what we do with this mindset of what's in it for me. I'll serve. I'll be a blessing as long as I can get something in return. But that wasn't Joseph. He's, re- he's released from prison. He refuses to be petty. He refuses to be proud. He refuses to be particular. And all the while, he's pointing others to God in the middle of this gross injustice. And I want to encourage you, when it comes to the injustices of this life, to determine that you're going to point others to God. And this leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. Divine revelation requires our utmost attention. Divine revelation requires our utmost attention. Now, in verses 17 through 24, Pharaoh is going to tell Joseph his dreams. He's going to kind of rehearse it. Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven good ears of corn, seven bad ears of corn. And these dreams were ultimately from God. These were revealed uh, from God. Today, uh, we recognize that God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and he has revealed himself through his word. And so when we hold up the Bible, this is not just some other history book. This is God's revealed word to us. Everybody tracking with that today? And so anybody else tracking with that today? We need to make sure that we understand that. So we have God's revealed word. 
And so God was speaking to Pharaoh through dreams. That was revelation. Today we have the revelation of God's word. And as Joseph is going to approach this revelation, he does so in three ways. And I would encourage you, you can jot these down if you like. First, he gave the interpretation. He gave the interpretation. When it comes to God's revelation, uh, God was speaking to Pharaoh. Uh, He gave the interpretation. Let's pick it up in verse 28. Verse 28, the Bible says this. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about uh, to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Verse 29. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following. For it shall be very grievous. Okay, and so that was the interpretation. And so Joseph says, this is what those dreams mean, Pharaoh. Those seven fat cows and those seven good ears of corn, that represents seven good years of plenty. The economy is going to be blessed. You're going to have all kinds of food, more food than you're going to know what to do with, Pharaoh. It's going to be a great blessing. But following those seven good years, there's going to be seven years of terrible famine. And the famine is going to be so bad, it's going to be worse than those years of plenty. And and so he interprets the dream. Uh, He says, this is what it means. He causes Pharaoh to understand what it means. Can I tell you today that when it comes to the the word of God, we ought to interpret it so we can understand what it means. Uh, The Bible says this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 8. So they read the book of the law, God's revealed word, the revelation that they had. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and, watch this, gave the sense And so Ezra the priest stood before the people and he read the book of the law distinctly. He gave the sense and then watch this. He caused them to understand the reading. And so in other words, uh, they approached the word of God and he gave the sense. He helped them to understand. I want to challenge you today when it comes to the word of God to seek to understand what it is that you are reading. Uh, we can't just approach the word of God and say, you know what? I tried to read the Bible. I tried a devotional plan starting January 1st, and I started to read in some of the genealogies, and I started to read in Leviticus, and I got lost, and so I just gave up because I didn't understand it. Hey, we can't do that as followers of Jesus. We have to recognize that if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life, and the Holy Spirit can guide you into truth. The Holy Spirit can enlighten your eyes to help you understand what it is that you are reading. The Bible says this in Ephesians 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. This is what we would call illumination. The light bulb turns on. When we get it, we understand that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance uh, in the saints. And so it's this, it's this uh, ability where the Holy Spirit fills us and guides us into truth so that we can understand what it is that we are reading. And so Joseph gives the interpretation. He gives the interpretation, but then he gives the importance. He gives the importance. Let's look at it in verse 32. It says this, And for the dream, uh, for the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, And so uh, why did he have the same dream twice? Uh, You know, first time with the cow, second time with the corn. Why did he get it twice? Verse 32. For that dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. Uh, It is because the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. And so he says, God gave you this dream twice because it's very important. Because this is established by God. Can I tell you today, when it comes to the revelation of God's word, this is very important. 
We are not here this morning because we have nothing better to do. We are not here this morning just simply because of tradition. Uh, we're not here this morning just to talk about ourselves. Uh, we're not here this morning just simply, merely to be around other people. We are here today because the word of God is of utmost importance. We are here today because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. We are here today because God wants to speak to us through his word. This is very important. This is not something that we just do casually. This is not something that we just go through the motions. If this is God's word to us, then we ought to pay attention to it. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the Bible is either absolute or it is obsolete. Peter talked about the importance of God's word in John chapter 6 and verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter said, where are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. What was he saying? This is so very important. And so Joseph says, here's the interpretation. You got it twice because this is very important. He gives the interpretation. He gives the importance. And then thirdly, he gives the instruction. He says, all right, because of this dream, here's what you should do. Verse number 33. Verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt. And the land shall perish, uh, that the land perish not through the famine. And so Joseph gives uh, some helpful advice and some counsel to Pharaoh. He says, this is what you need to do. You need to gather and prepare and save all of that food. And so when those seven years of famine come, uh, you're going to have plenty of food that will last you throughout those seven years. Prepare now, get ready, seek out a great leader that is wise and discreet among you, put him in charge uh, so that we can save up and prepare for this. And so I love this. Joseph says, here's the interpretation. Here's the importance. Now here's the instruction. This is what you should do. See, can I tell you today that when it comes to the revelation of God's word, it should always lead us to instruction not just being hearers of the word but doers here is what you need to do the word of God should come to us and then it should go through us the Bible says this in Philippians 4 9 those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me think about those things that you have heard and seen and learned of me what does he say do do he says, and the God of peace shall be with you. See, the problem with many Christians today is we are educated far beyond our level of obedience. We know. We've heard. We've learned. We've seen. What are we doing? What God wants us to do. Here's Joseph. Here is the interpretation. Here's what it means. Here's the importance. This is so very important. And now here's what we should do. By the way, any good sermon, any good Bible study will have all three components. Here's the interpretation of God's word. Here's what it means. This is so very important. Now here's what we should do to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so when it comes to God's divine revelation, it requires our utmost attention. Now, this leads us to our fourth thought. Everybody hanging in there today? We're covering a lot of territory. Number four is this. God honors those that honor him. Now, this is really a turning point in the narrative of Joseph. Everything is about to change for Joseph. God honors those who honor him. Let's pick it up in verse 37. The Bible says this in verse 37. 
And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And so Pharaoh's like, that sounds great. That sounds like a really good plan. Let's do that. Verse 38, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? Now, uh, the Egyptians and Pharaoh, they did not fully understand the Trinity. And so he wasn't talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He was just simply recognizing that the hand of God was upon Joseph. And then in verse number 39, it says this, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, There is none so discreet and wise as thou art. He says, Joseph, I think I found the leader that you were talking about. It's you. And thou shalt be over my house, and according to uh, thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. He puts him in second in command in all of Egypt, the second most uh, powerful man in the world. Then he says this, verse 42. And Pharaoh took off his ring that was symbolic of power and authority from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And so now Joseph is just bawling from head to toe. He's got a ring. He's got new clothes. He's got a gold chain around his neck. He is ready. And when he came to, uh, in verse number 43, and he made him to ride in the second chariot. And so now he has a ride. He has a, a decked out chariot with custom rims, uh, which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Can you see how everything is changing for Joseph in this moment? See, God is starting to unlock some of those promises that he gave him 13 years before. It wasn't in Joseph's timing. Joseph didn't understand why he had to be sold into slavery. Joseph didn't understand why he was thrown into a pit, why he was lied about in Potiphar's house, why he was put in prison. But now we see God's uh, uh, dreams that he had given Joseph starting to come to fruition. See, here's what I want you to know. What's the point of all this? The robe and the ring and the chariot. That God honors those who honor him according to his timeline. He honors those that wait patiently for the Lord. And so God was honoring Joseph. Even when it didn't quite make sense, he was honoring uh, Joseph's faithfulness. And this leads us to our fifth and final thought today. Do you have one more in you? Fifth and final thought today is this. We are not defined by the difficulties of our past. We are not defined by the difficulties of our past. Notice verse number 45. Verse 45 says this. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zathnath Paneah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh gives Joseph this new name. We're not exactly sure what this uh, name uh, means. Many people believe it means the revealer of secret things. But here's what I want you to see. Hang with me just for a few more moments today. Pharaoh was saying, Joseph, this is who you are now. This is your identity, this Egyptian name. And we have to recognize today that the world will always be quick to define us. You are defined by your job. You are defined uh, by your income. You are defined by where you live. This is who you are. But I believe that Joseph had this holy rebellion against this new identity. Because notice verse number 50. It says this. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, he hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. The name Manasseh means forgetfulness. It's a Hebrew name. And so Joseph was telling Potiphar, or Pharaoh, he was saying, you might give me this Egyptian name. 
and I might be living in Egypt, but my sons will know about the God that I worship. And he gives him this name, Manasseh, forgetfulness. Joseph said, God has allowed me to forget the difficulties of my past and to move forward in the future that he has for me. Joseph refused to be defined by the difficulties of his past. The Bible says this in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, this one thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I'm pressing forward in the calling that God has for me. I'm forgetting those things that are behind. Now, now forgetting your past doesn't mean that you don't deal with your past. It doesn't mean that you don't confess sin or that you don't get counsel and that you don't seek steps of restoration. Uh, But the word forgetting in Philippians chapter 3 means to cease to be affected by. I'm going to deal with my past, but I'm no longer going to be held back by my past. I'm no longer going to be affected by my past. Joseph said, yeah, I I was the recipient of some bad injustice. Yeah, I've had some things not go my direction. And yeah, I've experienced a lot of pain over the last 13 years. But I'm naming my firstborn son Manasseh because God has been faithful to me. And he has caused me to forget that affliction. And I refuse to be defined by the difficulties of my past. So he names his first son Manasseh. And then he has a second son. Notice it. Verse 52, in the name of the second son called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh speaks of forgetfulness. Ephraim speaks of fruitfulness, that God has allowed me to be fruitful. Did you catch that last phrase? In the land of my affliction. Please hear me. Just because God was blessing Joseph in Egypt, he was still in the land of his affliction. As followers of Jesus today, no matter how much God blesses you, no matter how good life gets, we are always living in the land of our affliction until we get to heaven. Joseph said, God is allowing me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh, I'm forgetting. I'm not going to be defined by my past. And thank God that I believe he has a great fruit for me in the future. The Bible says this, Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious Why does God wait? Why do we get frustrated with God's timing when we're asking God, when, when, when? Why why does God wait? So that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted so he'll get the glory that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. You know, we get in trouble in life whenever we try to control the season that we're in. Whenever we try to control the timing, when we try to manufacture the season that we're in, that's when we find ourselves in the most frustration. Back in the 1960s, during the Vietnam War, the United States had a major problem when it came to the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Uh, Viet Cong's, one of their greatest uh, assets was this Ho Chi Minh Trail. And this was a supply route that ran from north to south Vietnam. And uh, this was used to transport weapons and soldiers and hundreds of thousands of soldiers used this Ho Chi Minh Trail. And we tried to stop it any way we could. We tried to bomb this trail. Uh, we tried to uh, uh, deter people from it, try to put barricades up, but nothing worked. The only thing that seemed to work to block this trail during the Vietnam War uh, was when it rained. Because when it rained, it caused the ground to be very muddy and it was very difficult for the soldiers to pass through. And so the Department of Defense decided to spend millions of dollars to come up with this secret project that they called Operation Popeye. 
and this was an operation attempting to prolong the rainy season by cloud seeding. They were trying to control the weather. They thought if we can prolong the rain, then we can win the war. And so General Electric, the same company that perhaps made your refrigerator or your dishwasher, they came up with the technology for cloud seeding and attempted to control the weather. Lyndon Johnson, the president, said this, it lays the foundation of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately control the weather, and he who controls the weather will control the world. And I think this is indicative of a deeper intrinsic trait that we have as humans that we want to control the season that we're in. We're in a season of hurt, we want to speed it up. We're in a season of blessing, we want to slow it down. And we're trying to constantly control the seasons, but it is not for us to know the times and the seasons. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he hath made everything beautiful in his time, in his time. He hath also set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work uh, that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Can I tell you today that our God is always right on schedule. He's always right on time and he can make everything beautiful according to his timetable. We can trust it. We can trust his timing even when it doesn't make sense. Here's Joseph 13 years later. He's starting to understand. He's starting to have leaks of light crack through his season of disappointment starting to get glimpses of what God is doing. But it took 13 years for him to realize this. I want to read one more verse today, last verse, but I want to invite you to join me in standing as I do. Verse number 55. Verse 55. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And so just as Joseph interpreted it, it came to pass. The famine came. It was bad. The people were crying to Pharaoh for bread. And this is what Pharaoh said, verse 55. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph what he saith you, do. You want to be saved from this famine? Go to Joseph. You want to experience salvation? Go to Joseph. You want food for your family? Go to Joseph. And today we have to recognize that all of the Bible points ahead to Jesus. All of the Bible is about Jesus. And here we see Joseph being a type of Christ. You want to experience salvation? Go to Joseph. Can I tell you today that if you want to be saved from your sins, go to Jesus. If you want to experience salvation, if you want to experience freedom from famine, go to Jesus. In Jesus alone, there is salvation, there is freedom, there is forgiveness of our sins. But we have to go to Jesus because he is the only way, the truth, and the life today, if you've never experienced the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, you can go to him, you can open up your heart and receive Christ as your Savior, and you can be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin, saved from a terrible place called hell, and you can have a real encounter with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I would encourage you, today can be the day of salvation for you. In fact, the Bible says in Corinthians, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the accepted time. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.